and welcome to Mount Bites, episode 57. I'm Elaine Giles, I'm here with my co-host Mike Thomas. In this episode, new toys, DVD ripping and miscreant MacBiters. Yes, you naughty people. But first, the MacBites live. It was fabulous. Some were queuing from 3pm. No names to protect the um, over-eager. But it was brilliant so we thank you all for being there and sharing it with us yeah it was uh, it was a great night had by all wasn't it yes you started off by ringing in i seem to recall and saying is that the mac bite show yes <laughs> <laughs> because uh, the dog had decided it was wise to drag you out yes he picks his moments doesn't he he does we know that from the episode the other week. Oh, yes. But at the moment, he's quiet, so sleeping dogs lie and all that. And we got some really nice feedback from everybody as well. Uh, Kirshen said, great show, wonderful time, awesome people, thanks for hosting. So you're very, very welcome. It was a great time. It really was. Uh, Dan said it's the best one he's been to. He suspected the lack of a big announcement meant humour stepped in instead. Actually, it was slightly different this time, Dan, because I knew that we had people joining us uh, just on audio. So they were missing out on all of the fun from the MacBiters and the chat. So um, I was going over the announcements probably more than I had before. Uh, but then Dan goes on to say there was a gallows humour about the price appearing oh they did indeed indeed make more than a meal of that it took how long did it take it must have taken almost half an hour i was going to say was it an hour i kept getting access denied on the whole apple website me as well i mean i've rolled websites out you just can't do that so i don't know how their developers get away with it um and you were clicking links that said you know click here for more information and then that one would um, either error or you'd just be sitting there waiting so it did take a long long time and then of course when finally the information appeared so did the smelling salts yeah a little bit expensive lock up your credit cards yeah i thought you'd already done that <laughs> mm. anyway so uh, we heard from carrie as well who said great fun in the chat room uh, thanks everyone still giggling i wonder what she could be giggling about Yes, more on that shortly. Uh, Minster enjoyed himself. Uh, he wishes he could have stayed for longer. Unfortunately, Minster got mugged. Not like that at the vets. So I hope Molly's okay and I hope your wallet duly recovers, Minster. That's probably come out of the uh, Apple Fund, hasn't it? Probably. But as Minster pointed out, you never see a poor vet. No, you never see a rich Apple user. Now, that's very true, actually. <laughs> that is very true, yes. I never see um, the front of a vet. Most of the vets I take Mayor to, I only see their back as they leg it. He's um, somewhat over-effusive with people, isn't he? And I only see the uh, PDQ machine as the credit card's going through. True. A bit, bit like the Apple store, really. It is, actually, isn't it? Yes. And when IMAX were white, yes, they'd match. Anyway, uh, yes, where were we up to? Oh, now... Highlight of the evening for me had to be Jane and her dinner party, I think. Now, I know what you're thinking. That was a very, very, very bad time to arrange a dinner party. In Jane's defence, it wasn't Jane's scheduling, but she did do her best, didn't she, to put off the inevitable. Put off the inevitable and actually leave the house. I'm very impressed, Jane. Oh, you made it almost to the end. In fact, if they hadn't have spent half an hour discussing Apple stores and turnover, I think you would have made the whole event. So I was very impressed with that. Well, if Jane's dinner party avoidance was the highlight of the evening, it was run, oh, a close second with what could only be described as the slide of the night, I think. I'm still wondering what that all meant. <laughs> For anybody who hasn't actually seen it yet, maybe it was just our minds. 
but I don't think so. Um, there was a slide and he was explaining about the camera and this slide said on it, uh, backside illumination. Well, you can just imagine how the chat room took to that. As we did as well. So it made lots of reappearances throughout the rest of the uh, event, did that. Uh, slide of the night. Uh, actually, as somebody pointed out, that would never have got past Steve. It was a very strange slide, but anyway, it was fabulous to have you all with us. And um, even when it was over, Jane returned from her dinner party with a quick check-in and asked if there was one more thing, but sadly there wasn't. There was just lots and lots of chat about stores and stuff. The map batches are very hard to please, aren't they? They are. You know, I don't remember half of these, half of these tweets. Got last week's teeth in, I see. <laughs> Not editing, carry on. Um, yeah, I'm, I think I must have switched Twitter off by that point. In sheer delight at the prospect of spending a fortune or exhaustion. I think exhaustion. Ah, ah, it was such a good night, you see, we exhaust you. You've got no excuse because Oz Rose was up at 3.30 to join us. Before I noticed she headed off for a couple of hours of extra sleep. Hmm, crafty that. But she was virtually kissed goodnight by most of the chat room, so well worth coming in, I thought. Do you mean virtually kiss goodnight or kiss goodnight virtually? Mm, I'm going to leave that to people's imagination. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, altogether we must have had, oh, lots and lots of regulars and about oh, another 80 popping in and out. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it really was the, the best Map Bites Live we've, we've had. And we also had, like I said, quite a few people. Glenn gave me the, the idea. He was um, saying that he was travelling home. He'd be driving and was there any kind of audio feed? So I thought, well, we automatically do an audio feed. So if I... Um, I gave him the details of the Connect application, which you can put on your phone or your iPad. And you can take the audio. You can also chat, you know, unless you're driving, of course. So um, I've passed the details on, and that's why I was taking uh, about three feeds and reading them through and then going over constantly, and also with other people coming in and saying, what's going on, what's going on? So I think that worked incredibly, incredibly well, didn't it? It did very well. In fact, we seem to be the only site covering the event that didn't crash at some point. Is this a testament to Flash? Uh, no, I think it's more likely that no other Mac users were using Flash. True, but then it was day two of Adobe Macs, and they had a keynote running at the same time. Hmm. Now, that was bad planning. Uh, you are, yes, but I wouldn't blame Adobe for that, because Adobe Macs had been arranged for 12 months. So I think it was Apple steaming in there and uh, piggybacking on uh, an event that had been pre-booked for ages and ages. Uh, but we did miss some MacBiters. Yes, Jenna was missed. A badly scheduled meeting. In fact, I think there was more than one. A crime, I thought, after her recent purloining of a MacBytes mug. In fact, I think there were more than one MacBytes mug acquired. So um, congratulations on your acquisition, Jenna. And next time, you really, really must be there. In fact, we've decided we are going to have a MacBytes Live non-event event. I think the uh, past few events have been non-events where Apple have concerned. It's the uh, the MacBiters who've made it a great night, obviously. Well, yes, but we're always nonplussed at the time. Doesn't stop us queuing up for seven hours, though, within days, does it? This is true. <laughs> to gleefully give them hundreds and hundreds of pounds. Anyway, MacBytes Live non-event event before Christmas, probably in December. 
So keep your eye out for an announcement of time and place. Um, if you're subscribed to the MacBytes calendar, and if not, why not? It will automatically appear in your calendar. We'll also put it in the newsletter, or you can follow us on Twitter. Now, I could mention Facebook, but... <laughs> Probably best not to at the moment. I'm completely lost in there. Yeah, probably best not to. Anyway, what were you doing that was impossible? Oh, yes, I challenged the attendees in the MacBytes live chat room. Um, I announced I was doing something virtually impossible and challenged them to work out what it was and nobody got it right. Yes, it was all related to the sad demise of my iMac. And what I was doing... Uh, during the said MacBytes live, I was running a browser. I had... Heaven knows how many pages open. I was running screen software, screen recording software, running audio software. I had uh, I had Connect open. I was running Flash. Yes. And all of this was happening with no hard drive because my hard drive is sadly terminal. It is Monty Python's parrot. No more. So um, I only had an external drive patched in, keeping it going. It wasn't good, but it, it actually coped pretty well. I, it, it coped better than I thought it would. I know at some point I'm going to have to um, part company with my iMac and send it back to AppleCare. But I'm putting off the day for some unknown reason. Hmm. Mm, I fear this is going to end expensively. I, I think it could. Well, you see, it could be away for what? Two weeks? Three weeks? Could be. Mm. And... The other machines I've got are pretty old. So I was thinking, I think you're right. Yes, let's just leave it. To, it could end expensively. I could lend you pyro. No, you're all right. I've got a doorstop. Anyway, we have a late entrant into the colour pickers um, thing from last week. I nearly said debacle then. <laughs> <laughs> there was quite a few of them. Yes, this one is called Colour Chooser. And... Um, I can't remember how I came across it, but it was only 69 pence in the Mac App Store. And what made this one different? So as if you haven't already had your fill of colour pickers, there's another one. Uh, what this one does is it takes the Mac colour picker, so the colour picker that you're used to in all the applications, and it puts it available from your menu. Now you're thinking, why bother? But it also adds the ability to copy the colour in as we discussed last time, lots and lots of different formats. But the one of the benefits, I've not seen this with any of the other ones that we did. I mentioned the colour car parks that are available in the colour picker within the Mac. And they are available from this colour chooser. It automatically loads them in at the bottom of the window. So it's sort of a hybrid between uh, colour snapper and the actual inbuilt colour picker. So I had a quick go with that. One of the features that I like with it is that you can drag and drop colours. So you don't have to actually copy. If you think of working with um, Pixelmator or Photoshop, or in this case, I was actually working with Keynote. And I had some shapes on a slide and I thought, I wonder if I can just drag and drop sort of the colour block rather than actually copying the code and then going and pasting it in. And yes, you could. So that one, it's, it's earned it's earned the ability to stay on my machine at the moment. So I thought that was really worth 69 pence. So uh, that is called Colour Chooser and I'll put a link in the show notes to it as well. I had a quick look at it through via your screen and yeah, it looked good. I think I'll try that. It's handy because it's got all the, all the different things that you're used to in the operating system. And at 69 pence, I mean, I know you had that hack, didn't you, for the inbuilt one? 
but this would give you many many more options for 69 pence and you have that immediate familiarity with it because it is mm. the system color picker it's just available from a different location you can also sort of um, anchor it to the screen as well so you can leave it open while you work with it so i yeah i definitely had um i could use that alongside color snapper i think good one uh, yes, one more quick catch-up. Um, I mentioned Kindle Touches and the, and the fact I wasn't happy. Your credit card was very happy, but I wasn't happy. Um, that There are no Kindle Touches in this country. Yes, still not got over that. But Amazon have this week confirmed that the Kindle Touch 3G will now only browse the web over Wi-Fi, which what? seems a bit odd. I wondered what that meant, you know. Well, it means that the 3G is now only to access the Amazon store. So you right. can download books while you're out and you can do all your Amazon related stuff. But there is a built in browser. I mean, it, it's not great. Put it like that. It's quite um, finicky to use. But it's there. So I like I said to you, in an emergency, I've tried it and, and it's usable ish. Obviously, it's black and white um, and, and navigating your way around the screen is arduous, long winded. But in an emergency, you know, if you actually needed to use it, then it's there. But you won't be able to do that anymore. That will only be available over Wi-Fi. So it seems Amazon are backpedaling right and left at the minute. Um, you know, there's less battery life, less storage. Uh, now the 3G only works to their own store. There's no power cable in, in the pack, but they're saying the price has come down. Well, obviously the price has come down. It's half the product. But I'm not going to get giddy over that until it arrives on these shores. And no doubt I'll want one. But obviously, purely for research purposes. <clears throat> no, purely for using purposes. Well, that as well. I also mentioned um, the Lion Installed Disc Maker. And I said that it was available if you wanted to um, have your Lion Installer sort of semi-automatically made. I I'd done mine manually. Well, I used this Lion Disc Maker this week because my 8 gig pen drives arrived. A complete joy. I burnt a DVD too, um, which was really to sort of see if it would actually work. I did say that it said you could get away with four gig pen drives, but I left it at eight because I said never know down down the line whether um, a point up upgrade will mean that no it won't fit on a four gig but literally all you've got to do is have your installer available stick the pen drive in your machine and press a couple of buttons and you're done so the the way i did it was it wasn't difficult it was just a lot of little tiny steps that you had to do in the right order and then wait and stuff this just it was brilliant so um, I put the details in a blog post, which I'll link to as well. But I can highly recommend that. I've now got um, the half a dozen pen drives lined up with various Lion installs on them. And when I've got a hard drive, who knows, I might actually put Lion on it. But I must say, after a run-in with Windows 2K, yes, 1999, and Internet Explorer 5... <laughs> Yeah, don't don't ask about me trying to open another tab. It wasn't pretty. Uh, yes, that was this weekend's little joy. And um, I'm feeling much more benevolent towards Lion at the moment. Much more benevolent. Well, can't not benevolent enough to install it, obviously. But I'm getting there. I'm can't getting get there. any worse. Can't get any worse than the Windows and IE five combination, can it? It was painful, wasn't it? It, <laughs> it was, was painful, painful watching you. Yeah, it was painful being involved. I can tell you. <laughs> Do you know, I, I wouldn't have. I must make clear, it's not my virtual machine. No, it was my father's, no. who's running some weird software which needs Windows, which wasn't behaving itself. Which was how come I ended up looking at it? I couldn't believe IE five. Good grief! Ah, yes. Yeah, so catching up. <laughs> 
uh, Lion, one of the things I talked about was ejecting DMGs and how frustrating it was. Well, we got an email from Kevin Sadler who said, I don't have Lion yet, but I suspect the solution to ejecting mounted DMGs is the same as in Snowy. In the DMG finder window, if you right click on the background, so not the icon itself, the first option that you get is eject disc. I hope this helps. Love the podcast. Keep it going. <laughs> He's quite right, you know. I have yeah. never tried that. <laughs> I hadn't. That was cool. I'm going to use that in the future because it's... It's actually faster, isn't it? It is. Yes. I did not know that was there because I don't tend to right click on blank spaces and expect it to do something. I have a colleague who right clicks on everything. I'm talking Windows here, but he right clicks on everything. So maybe I should take that approach, right click everything. I still don't think I'd have right clicked in, in, in midair and expected it to do something. But yes, it does. It works. Now, I'm not sure if I did. I try I did, didn't I? I tried it with BB Edit and it worked. Yeah. So that was brilliant, Kevin. Yes, but I hadn't done that. But then we heard from Dan who said, what's this lozenge you're talking about? So it shows you everybody works in different ways. Everybody has their own preference and, and right clicking. No, that wasn't me. But now I am quite impressed with that. I should be using that all the time now. Yeah. Oh, one less thing for me to moan about, though. It's my new toy, that one. Hmm. I shall have to find more things. Anyway, onward. Yes, we also heard from Phil, or Max C as he's known, uh, who said, I was just listening to show 55 whilst driving around and heard Elaine complaining about Lion and not being able to unmount installation DMGs. So, same issue. Do you know about dragging the icon in the installer header bar to the trash can? I must say I didn't. Mm. Now, he carries, he continues, he says, on the very top of the installer window, you should see the apps icon followed by the name of your followed by the name of the program. If you click and hold on the icon, you can drag it to the trash can in the dock. As you're doing this, the trash can icon changes to an eject symbol. I hope this helps a little with your line woes. Do you know, he's quite right. And when I read that, I thought, oh yes. I'd seen that demoed at the Apple Store years ago. And I was completely underwhelmed at the time and thought, well, who needs that? And I promptly forgot. I had completely forgotten that, you know, done the right way, you can get the, the trash can to um, change into an eject and it actually works. Mm. I think I, I would use that one, but for the fact I actually have my dock hidden. So I can drag it over to where the dock is and I can wait for the dock to appear and then drop it. And I have confirmed, yes, it does work. So he's quite right. I think that would work really well uh, the bigger you have your dock and, and the more accessible you have your dock. So um, apparently I hadn't completely investigated all the potential options for ejecting a disc. But now I've got half a dozen ways to eject a disc. So I, I'm mm, that affects my lion. Uh, it isn't going to work for me considerably. But anyway, yes, thank you for that. I, I should have remembered that, but I didn't. It just shows you, doesn't it? Like I'm saying, if you don't use something on a regular basis, you just you you just completely forget about it. Or in, in some cases, people never knew about it in the first place. Mm. I did know about that one, but I had forgotten, I must admit. I tried it. I remember trying it when I very, very first got a Mac. But after that, I didn't. I can't remember why and how I found out about the lozenge. But that was, that was my preferred way of working. Well, we said last week, didn't we, that... Um I didn't even know about that. I just thought it was a, a screen ornament. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you said, you know, if you click it, it ejects. Well, mm. it opens a sidebar, doesn't it, and lets you eject. I, I like that. I actually like that, that you can change the window. 
But yes, all these other ways work as well. So that's brilliant. So uh, pass that on to the MacBiters. So um, yeah, we should have a, a poll, shouldn't we? What's your preferred way to eject a, a DMG? Good idea. I also heard from Graham um, regarding my JPEG TIFF watermarking lion affecting my pixels thing. Um, and he said, make a copy first, which was what I said. I said, if you know how Lion works, you know what it's going to do, then make a copy first and then work from that copy. It just sort of, it seemed an unnatural workflow to me. But he also came up with a second suggestion of making an Apple script to do it for you, which also seems like a good idea. I still think you're going to have to change your workflow. And that's what I, I was really sort of complaining about, because... It's got to work for one set of people or another. It's got to work for either the people who are struggling to save the changes that they're making, or it's going to work well for the people who didn't want them saving in the first place and you're automatically doing it. So I still think you'd have to change your workflow. He did say he's still thinking about the recursive copying problem here. Aren't we all? Aren't we? Ah, just me then. I think it's just you. Thank you for that. <laughs> Oh, come on. You said you, you're you and your pen drives. It's not just I'm not me. Thinking about it. I'm not thinking about it. I'm still on Snow Leopard. Ah, sooner or later. I'm all right, Jack. Yes. Pull the ladder up. <laughs> ah, and I heard a classic from Jenna about mice. I thought I had the most problems in the entire universe with mice. But I think Jenna this week has outmoused me. Um, Jenna has an MX Revolution and she was using Logitech drivers. I had no idea about this. Um, I know Logitech are a bit slow updating their drivers. When Snow Leopard came out, I think it was a good few weeks before they brought out their updated drivers. And in, in the meanwhile, you know, your mouse isn't working properly. Now, I didn't use the Logitech drivers. I don't think I ever actually had them installed. Um, I use Steer Mouse and I love Steer Mouse. It's so configurable. So I, I never use the drivers, but apparently um, pr trouble in Logitech land with Lion drivers. Um, so Jenna did the decent thing and got Steer Mouse. But it was the reason why she got Steer Mouse that had me rolling in the aisles. Um, because I would have thought, oh, well, what's the matter with it? Are the buttons not working or something? But no, apparently, according to Jenna's description, her mouse was sitting on her mouse mat and it was jumping and twitching. And actually moving when she wasn't touching it. No, I, I can understand that. I can sympathise with that because this week I've been using a, a new uh, Bluetooth mouse. It was uh, an inexpensive one um, because I don't, I don't particularly want to be taking my, my MX Revolution out with me. Um, certainly to use on my Windows machine at work. And I had it on a, I suppose you'd call it a normal mouse mat. You know what I mean. I told you. Mouse mounts can be incredibly difficult to work with. Yeah, and, and this was doing exactly the same. It was jumping, it was twitching. I could, I could see the mouse pointer jumping around and I wasn't touching it. So I took the mouse mat away and I actually just used it on, on the bare wooden desk and it was fine. And today I've taken in, um, again, it was something that I got a couple of years ago and it was supposed to be as I understood it, when you shut the lid of your um, of my MacBook Pro, so that it's the the glass doesn't touch the the, the keyboard, um, it was supposed to protect the glass. But I've I've actually taken to using it as a mouse mat. It's it's very thin and it's just like those um, gamers mouse mats you talked about um, last episode. But you know, very very 
much a fraction of the price. And it works great. Yeah. Good catch there, then. Good catch. So, um, yeah. I hope Steer Mouse is doing you proud, Jenna. I really do. So, for me, it wasn't the drivers. For me, it was the mouse mat. I told you, I just really, you'd think in this day and age, they'd be better made. Because I never had a problem with Microsoft mice. And I wouldn't say they were... I mean, they didn't need any special drivers or anything, and I, I didn't have half the trouble that I've had with these modern ones. Maybe it's the fact that a lot of them are Bluetooth. Things ain't what they used to be, eh? No, they're not. They just don't make them up. But I put, put it like that. I am not putting a Microsoft mouse on my Mac. Uh, plus the fact they're... Um, do they do a wireless one now? It's that long since I've had one, Probably. but all of mine were wired mice. So, um, no, I'm not going down there. Uh, anyway, onward to the Apple Media event, or as we call it, iPhone, 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 iPhone. iPhone. Should we do an ultra fast roundup? Yeah. It won't take long, will it? No. Ooh. Yes. Um, <laughs> there's a new phone. That's it, isn't it? I don't no. have to go through the 37,000 stores they've opened, do I? And how many times Lion's been downloaded? No. No, good. Ah, right. So let's talk about the interesting stuff. Um, one of the things that really caught my eye was something that Kirshen sent, which was a link to uh, a techno blog from uh, MSNBC. I think the best thing I can do, for which read the safest thing I can do, is just read out the first two paragraphs of it and um, let you cogitate on it. While the world waited with bated breath on the release of a brand new iPhone 5, Apple's anticlimactic announcement yesterday of the iPhone 4S not only took the wind out of a lot of sales, but it also made the company's naming choice for its new intelligent personal assistant look a little culturally ignorant. You see, in Japan, where Siri isn't even going to be available when the iPhone 4S goes on sale there, the word sounds a lot like shiri, which means buttocks. <laughs> I know, you couldn't make it up. No. <laughs> well, it takes us back to the illuminated backside, doesn't it? <laughs> it certainly does. Which was the whole point of Kirsch and sending it to me, so thank you very much for that. It's um, certainly got more than a slight smile at, at Matt Bites headquarters. What a night. I must admit, there were, there were bits of it that um, I wondered what they were talking about. Cards. Were you impressed? I wasn't impressed, no. I, it wasn't that it wasn't impressive or whatever. I'm sure it'll be very impressive in implementation, but it seemed so out of place with the rest of it. It also seemed so out of date. We were doing that years ago on uh, websites that we built. Well, there's a lot of apps already that do that as well. So it did seem such an odd thing to appear in in the sort, and it was nearly the middle, mm. wasn't it? The, the middle of, of such a, a keynote. I know the uh, the MacBiters the MacBiters were putting in um, into the chat these different services, weren't they? Yeah. So there was a lot that already did that, and I think not streaming it live did gave you sort of you you were listening to them saying or you were reading second and third hand that it's got voice control and it's intelligent voice control but i think unless you actually see it you're not going to appreciate it i'm not going to be negative about it because you remember how everybody said with the retina display and yeah <laughs> we, we were totally unimpressed until it was in your hand and you looked at it and thought wow definitely so this this might work brilliantly well, Mike, of course, <laughs> on the night, yes, you might well snigger, decided to prove the point that voice control doesn't work. So he managed to turn the voice control on on his iPhone 4 and things 
went downhill from there, didn't they? Well, I said play ABBA and it rang my boss. <laughs> Whose name is nothing like ABBA nor play. And then I was saying nothing. You said something and it started dialing somebody else on my contacts list. Yes, it seems a bit um, trigger happy, doesn't it? Ringing people. <laughs> Hit and miss. So we're hoping that Siri or Siri or however you want to pronounce it is going to be much more accurate and useful. Uh, from the adverts I've seen, it looks like you're having a two-way conversation with it. Mm. I could like that. Well, we'll have to see. Although, to be honest, we did do a quick straw poll um, and asked how many people were actually using the voice control that's already there on their phones. And no one was the result of that. I mean, I tried it once. I'm assuming you tried it once and turned it off. It's what it's one of those things you try, isn't it? I probably... Well, I don't. I've said this before. I don't feel that I need voice control because if I'm not devoting 100% of my attention to whatever I'm doing with my phone, so texting somebody or sending an email or whatever it is I want to do, then I'm not using the phone. Because I wouldn't I wouldn't use it while I was driving. I wouldn't put it in a cradle and use it while I was driving. Can you imagine? Play ABBA and it rings your boss. You're like, no, 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 at 80 miles an hour on the motorway. It's dangerous. It's just not there yet, I don't think. So maybe Siri will be. And, and this time next week, we'll all be saying, oh, they were right again. On the other hand, judging by your experience, maybe it's just our accents they don't like. Actually, I'll, I'll admit something. The other week, I... I'd totally forgotten that it's got voice control and it was only because I... You you don't double-click the home button, do you? You hold it down for a couple of seconds and that mm -hmm. activates it. And it was only because I held it down for a couple of seconds that I then remembered that the iPhone 4 has got voice control. That shows you how little I use it. I would love to talk to somebody who uses it all the time and it explains to me why it's so wonderful mm. it's a toy that's what that's how i felt about it that it was a toy it's a 21st century toy if it learned as it went or you could train it you, you know dictation mm. software i mean i believe that's very good when you've trained it so maybe if you could train it some i'd be more impressed but as um, long as it's better trained than autocorrect <laughs> well true it's going to be a disaster isn't it <laughs> Well, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. So we want to hear from you. If you're going to buy an iPhone 4S and uh, you try it, then do let us know how you get on with it. I'd love to know. The other thing that had the um, chat room in complete fits was the update, shall we call it, to the Nano. Yes, it's now got a Mickey Mouse watch. That sort of summed up the night for us, didn't somebody, it? Somebody on another podcast I was listening to was saying that uh, their wife has no interest in uh, Apple products at all, but when they saw this Mickey Mouse Nano, they wanted one. Oh, dear. There was a rather fetching Kermit the Frog as well. They didn't make too much of a, a thing of that, though. I don't recall seeing the actual image during during the keynote no i didn't the mickey mouse one was definitely mentioned but not the kermit the frog do you think it was because well this is my take on it do you think it was because kermit the frog looks and sounds for all the world like bill gates <laughs> you could say that <laughs> i've always said but you never see bill gates and kermit the frog in the same room <sighs> maybe not well anyway so if you want a nano watch there's 12 extra faces or something mm. I don't know what I'd have made of that if I'd have been sat on my own listening to it or following along with, with blogs and watching it later. I really don't. But um, we had a fabulous time, more in spite of what went on. But I don't think it was as bad in terms of 
technical things, as some people were saying immediately after it, which was, I think one was uh, Rory Keflin Jones on the BBC, they'll have to do better, you know, Tim, Tim Cook will have to do better. And then, of course, what happened? A couple of days later, he had to recant what he'd said and say it was made in very difficult circumstances and, and he took it all back and etc, etc. Maybe it would have been wiser to be rather more empathetic first, rather than vent your spleen and then have to come riding in with an apology. It was going to be a difficult thing to do, stepping into Steve Jobs' shoes, whether he was still with us or not. And I'm not too sure about that. the way they've started doing these keynotes, which is lots of business news up front. To me, this is a consumer event. WWDC is for the developers. And they do have um, conference calls, don't they, for um, no, the earnings, earnings calls. calls. So that's the place, to me, to put those kind of facts and figures. And then if they concentrated on the actual products themselves and gave real good demonstrations, we were looking at one earlier, weren't we, from 2006? Yeah. When Steve Jobs himself was demonstrating GarageBand. And it was great. It was a brilliant presentation. I don't think standing there talking about sales and stuff has the same impact, and I don't think it ever will. So maybe just adjust that slightly. They've only actually really started doing that since they pulled out of Macworld. If you remember, I'm sure it was the last one at Macworld. They started off the presentation and they were really justifying why they were pulling out of Macworld, which was they've got so many square footage of retail space and, you know, they were opening X number of new stores and that they could reach so many more people via those stores that they didn't really need to go to Macworld. And that was fine for that presentation. I can't honestly see the point in every presentation since going over the same ground, same ground, same ground. I know they're telling you about different stores, but I don't think there was one person in the chat room that wasn't saying, come on, get on with it, come on. They'd rather the little bit of time that they have, which is probably maybe 90 minutes, if you're lucky, three to four times a year, if that. You want to focus on the products so hopefully going forward, that's what they'll do with it. And uh, I think it'll be an improvement, but uh, good luck to everybody there anyway. The earnings call was not long ago, was it? A um, couple of months ago, because there's another one later this month. Yes, yeah, so, you know, it's, well, it's not long ago. So that I like you say, I don't think the information needs repeating again. Well, people were making distinctions between... Um, because another thing that they did was, <laughs> you were there venting your spleen over this one, was that they were saying it's got, was it another 200 features? Yeah. iOS 5 and, and yeah, it's wonderful right. 200 new features. And then they promptly went over the same 10 that they went over in the summer. And you made the point, couldn't you choose 10 of the other 190 <laughs> just so they were different? And I had to agree with you. There's either 200 new features or there's not. And I can appreciate that you would choose the 10 best features when we've always said that there are certain features that demonstrate brilliantly and there's other features that you will and those features that br demo brilliantly you may never use like the voice control but there's other features that don't seem worthy of a demo they seem like nothing and you'll use them every single day but i think it depends on the way that it's demonstrated and the enthusiasm that it's demonstrated with and I agree with you. I think there must have been. Don't demonstrate 10 then. If you can only find five, do five. But do a different five. And people are making the point that it's a different audience. 
but I don't agree with that 100%. I, there is a there is enough of... Um, I mean, you and I train people, we make presentations all the time. If you've got two groups of people and there's a 50% crossover, I'm sure you don't deliver word for word what you delivered in the morning to the afternoon group. No. No, neither do I. So... To say, well, there's these 10 features and then go over them again. There was nobody that, that was there that wasn't saying, show us something new. Please show us something new. And you're hanging on for one more thing, for one more thing. So maybe they need to just adjust what they do slightly and give us more of what we want. Because they did mention, didn't they? The words that strike terror into our very souls. Game centre. Mm. And off they went. I, I completely lost interest at that point. So please stop doing the, the game demos. But did we... And then the game demo. I think yes. they did do a game demo. I've no idea. I started chatting to Matt by It was Jane's steak knife, wasn't it? Oh, it was, wasn't it? Infinity Blade. That's <laughs> right. Infinity Blade. Yes. But games only demo well to people who are really, really, really interested in games. I think everybody else is, would have to play it for it to, to have that kind of interest. Or Do you know what I mean? They know that you're I only do. getting this via live blog. And game demos don't work well at all via live blogs. We know that from experience. They just don't. You switch off. So maybe just adjust it slightly to improve it for the future. But um, fair play to everybody who was um, part of that. It was, it was going to be difficult anyway. And obviously, in hindsight, it was more difficult than at the time we all realised. And um, there was another event, as I said, which was um, Adobe Max. And on the Monday, which was the day before, they announced six fabulous new apps for their design creatives. I was excited. <laughs> Obviously, of course, let me let me see, set the scene for you. This was after my somewhat disappointing result from the Amazon event. So they demonstrated these six new what they call touch applications. Um, there was Cooler, which we talked about last week, which was um, colour pickers. So there's, it's now got an app of its own and it's all touch enabled and touchy, touchy, feely, feely, fabulous thing. There was one that I was particularly interested in, which is called Proto, which enables you to build prototypes. So you would have an application on your desktop to do that if you were prototyping websites or applications. And what this does is it puts it on your tablet device. Uh, and probably the one that got most press was Photoshop Touch. So, of course, they've got you literally drooling over this stuff, at which point they proudly announce, and they're available, I think it was virtually straight away, on the Android platform. Not impressed. Another disappointment for me at, at the end mm. of a presentation, I'm afraid. Mm. Uh, they'll have an announcement about iPad soonish. But soonish was sometime next year. So a little bit of a way to go then. I thought that was quite disappointing. I can see where they're coming from. Apple won't put flash on there, so we're not putting ours on yours. Oh, grow, grow up, up children. people. Uh, now, that was perfect. I didn't edit that at all, did I? That was perfectly timed. I do wish they grow up and, and stop arguing. It, it's so futile. Yes, so I was disappointed there. But then I found a potential solution for Android-only apps, didn't I? You did. That needs jailbreaking. Mm. So uh, my potential workaround was foiled as well. So a bit of a disappointment there, I thought, in the end. Now, your iMac wasn't the only sick kit this week at uh, MacBytes headquarters, was it? No, my iMac's really not well. My iMac's going to have to go back, you know. But I digress. No, uh, this week, another disaster. As I'm holding my iMac together, literally with sellotape, my early 2009 Mac Mini decided to throw its virtual toys out of the pram as well. 
It started ejecting drives um, and then reconnecting them. Then I had apps crashing. So I thought I need to reboot here. So I, I rebooted or well, well, when I say rebooted, I attempted to uh, and it wouldn't turn back on. So call for the pallet knife. Had to take it out of its its little shelf, uh, get it on the table. Oh, nightmare. It's a horrible thing to get into. The newer models are far easier, but this one, you've got to start peeling the bottom off and generally playing around. It's a horrible job. So I managed to get it opened up um, and really I couldn't actually see anything wrong with it. So I thought best thing I could do was uh, clean it. It is on 24-7 and probably has been for Hmm, early 2009, <laughs> two and a half years. So I decided I'd clean it up and uh, reseat the cables and hope for the best. So that's what I did. And um, then, of course, try turning it back on while it's still in pieces in case it needed more triage. But no, it actually came back on. So I, I then turned it off again, reassembled the whole thing, put it back on the shelf. You know, this is usually the point it decides it's not going to turn on, but it did. And it mounted all the drives and the apps are working fine. So... Um, Looks like possibly reseating the cables did the job. By this stage, of course, I am covered in all sorts of stuff. I've got graphite grease. There's actually some grease inside um, a Mac Mini. It's some kind of like heat sink paste or something like that. So I'm covered in that. I'm also covered in all the kinds of... Um, th there's bits in there that are stuck to each other. So there's a temperature control and it's stuck to the hard drive. So I'm stuck up with all that as well. So you can imagine the scene. It's all right, it gets worse. So I heads off just to wash my hands. I couldn't possibly, not even me, could get into trouble washing my hands, could I? Oh, yes, you could. Oh, I did. Yes. I'm heading to the bathroom and I'm thinking, right, so I wash my hands. I grab the nail brush. I put the soap on the nail brush. Just as I am poised to do my nails with the said nail brush, I spot it. Yes. Something nasty nestling in the nail brush. As anyone who's been in the UK in the last, what, four to six weeks will know, we are infested with massive spiders. I've heard so many people on Twitter saying, oh, I've got more spiders in today. I don't know what it is, but people are infested. And one of these things had crawled into my nail brush and had the temerity to die. Hmm. I didn't actually get my nails done in the end. I just rang you and said, can you buy me a new nail brush on the way <laughs> And, um, yes, got rid of the old one. I've no idea what it was, but it was black and it had more than two legs. So I wasn't really interested in it. I left you to deal with it. <laughs> Only at MacBytes headquarters, I feel. And all because the Mac Mini broke. Exactly. You see, if my kit just behaved itself, I wouldn't get into these scrapes. I'm taking no, no responsibility for this. Now, as you know, a couple of weeks ago we heard from Minster, and uh, now is your time, Minster. Hi, Matt Bikes crew. It's uh, Minster here. Just wanted to drop you a quick voicemail to say great to have the shows back. Although I have to say I had, did miss a show last Monday. I don't remember seeing a Matt Bike Monday show, so last Monday was quite disappointing for me. But anyway, um, just wanted to ask you a couple of questions regarding ripping TV shows and movies onto your Mac. Um, my, I'm currently running Lion and also using Handbrake to do my ripping of TV shows and movies. But I found a couple of movies that just will not encode or rip using Handbrake. I was wondering if you could recommend some other software or maybe the settings that I need to change on Handbrake to try and make get all my movies to rip. 
Uh, also, uh, once you've got all your movies ripped and onto your Mac, how do you cope with these files and, and your library sizes? Because it starts to get very big. I just wondered if you had any advice on storage and how you cope with having your libraries when they start to get big. Uh, any help and advice would be great. Anyway, great to have you guys back on doing the shows and hope to hear from you soon. Cheers. Great to hear from you, Minstan. Thank you for your kind words. Yeah, and we've got a follow-up as well. He says, uh, Hi, MacBytes crew. Just a quick update to my recent voice memo. I transferred a few different movies to my iPad and iPhone for my holiday that I'd ripped using Handbrake and have found that a couple of them are all messed up. They have encoded, but the chapters are all messed up. The movies constantly jump all over the place, so they're totally unwatchable. Have you ever had this before when using Handbrake? Any help or advice on this would be much appreciated as I really want to crack this so I can convert all my DVD library to digital. Thanks, regards, Minster. Now, I'm going to hand this over to you, I think, because I have very little experience in this area. Yes, um, it seemed such a simple inquiry, didn't it, at first, until I started to explain and your eyes glazed over. Mm. Mm. Right, well, yes, uh, I have seen the problems that Minster has mentioned, where the chapters are all messed up, and it does indeed, the video starts playing and then it jumps from one scene to another, but they're not sequential. So I have indeed seen that, probably partly to do with copy protection. But before I get into it, I thought, as I was trying to explain it to you and your eyes were glazing over, um, part of the problem is the terminology here. So before I get going, I'm just going to explain what I mean when I use certain terms. Most, but When I said to you, ripping a DVD, you immediately thought I meant one thing and actually I didn't. What Mike thought I meant was making a, a version of it that could play on an iPad. And when I say rip, that's not really what I mean. When you rip a DVD, one of the things I used to do first before I did any kind of conversion, before I had an iPad, an iPod, anything, was just make a copy of a DVD. And to do that, I would rip it to a DVD folder on the hard drive. So when I say rip, I really mean create a copy of the DVD on my hard drive. Um, in a what ends up being usually the name of the movie or the name of, of the video and a video TS folder inside it. Then there's rip and backup, which makes an exact copy of the DVD, usually with the region lock removed. Then there's rip and convert, which was what you thought I meant, wasn't it, Mike? That's right, yeah. Where I make a copy of the DVD onto the hard drive and create a compressed file for playback. But there's also converting a DVD where you don't make a copy of it onto the hard drive. You just create a compressed file for playback. And then finally, there's remastering, which is where you re-engineer what you want on a new DVD. So maybe, for instance, you want to uh, remove those piracy ads at the beginning. They annoy me intensely. I don't actually ever watch a DVD because of those things. So if I wanted a copy of a DVD, I'd want to remove those from it. So that would be remastering a DVD. So, so simples. Uh, it sounds simple, doesn't it? Mm. It was actually when I first got a Mac such so difficult because I'd done it on Windows. I didn't really have a problem. The only thing I will say is I wasn't trying to make a compressed file for playback. I was just trying to copy a DVD. Now, these actually weren't 
um, bought DVDs. They were my DVDs. We'd bought a DVD recorder and it was great. I mean, the quality was amazing compared to a VHS tape. But after I'd had it about a week, I was thinking of sending somebody a copy of something that I'd recorded. And I thought, oh dear, how on earth am I going to copy this DVD? So that was my first requirement really to, to be able to rip this thing but actually I wanted to uh, rip and back it up so I wanted a duplicate an exact duplicate of a DVD so I started researching it and at the time I was on Windows um, and I found a couple of apps that I carried on using for years first one was DVD Idle Pro so remember these are Windows apps but what that did was it it was actually sold as being mainly for laptops. When you take a laptop on the road and you wanted to watch a DVD, it would eat battery. So what this thing did was read ahead caching and it would save sort of, it reckons, 75% of your battery life in watching a DVD. And one of the knock-on effects was that when you mounted a DVD using DVD Idle Pro, it removed the CSS region protection. So you needed that first before you could then make a copy of the DVD. And to make the copy, I used an application called DVD Shrink, which was really simple. It was quite fast as well, considering. Um, and it never failed me. But what it did was it made an exact copy of the DVD to my hard drive. Now, I had... I could remaster a little bit with DVD Shrink. I didn't have to take all the tracts or all the chapters from the DVD. I could choose. The problem with all these applications is it's very hard to work out which chapters you want. If it's a movie, then you've got a good guess. You could pretty much say, well, the longest track's probably the movie. Um, but not always. It depends how the DVD is created. But one of the features that DVD Shrink did give me was it let me elect to make a full copy of the disc at full quality or I could make um, a compressed copy which would fit onto a single sided DVD. So that I found that to be the, the, the best option that, that it had. Most of the time I would elect to have it fit onto a DVD. But as I say, most of the time they were my own DVDs. So by definition, they automatically fitted onto a 4.7 gig DVD because I'd made it myself and there was no region protection on it. But I used that for years and years and years, even after I got a Mac, um, because I found the stuff that people were recommending for me to use on the Mac. It just didn't work. Uh, I couldn't actually get it working at all. It wasn't a case of like Minster where he's made a video and it's jumping. I didn't even get that far. It just it failed spectacularly well before then. One of the other things I just need to quickly mention is you're going to need, if you're going to convert these things to a compressed file for playback, you're going to need some sort of tagging and renaming software. And the best one I've ever seen, unfortunately, is still Windows only. And it is called Tag and Rename. Now, I'm sure we've mentioned this on the show before, haven't we? I think we have. Because I still can't find anything that's as good as that. There is nothing that that can't do. I have found a couple of alternatives since on the Mac, and one of which I think will work incredibly well for what Minster wants to do. So that was what I was using, and it was all Windows-based. And I carried on using that until... I probably reached a point I couldn't be bothered booting Windows to actually copy a disk. And I thought, you know, you're going to have to find something. So 
Yes, um, first of all, I think I looked at, um, well, actually, I'm going to talk about handbrake first. Handbrake is, I find it unnecessarily complicated, to be honest, especially the version that I tried years and years ago. It was probably around 2006 when I very first tried it. And it's a converter. It doesn't make a DVD image to my hard drive. So if what I want is a copy of my DVD, then handbrake, I, there is no... In, um, you know, option in the interface that, that seems simple to me to just make a copy of it. So it seems to be making a file for playback. But like Minster's saying, it, it's all right if you can just use one of the presets. But I just find it very, very complicated. Yeah, I used it once uh, and it just looked too complicated with all the settings. It failed um, and I think that put me off. Um <laughs> And I, I just don't, I don't have the need to do it often enough to, to, to get down and dirty with all the settings. Well, it has improved over five years and it does make iPad and iPhone videos and numerous other formats. And there are now lots of presets. So you don't actually have to tweak it if you don't want to. Um, like I said, though, it does not seem to make a backup of the actual DVD. What I find difficult with it is it is difficult to navigate what's actually on the DVD. What you get when you put a DVD in it, you get a, a drop down list of titles. But like I said, it's, you're looking at them thinking, well, I wonder which is which. And I know when I was looking at it, I thought, well, you know, how's Handbrake looking these days? Because this is not what I use. And I put, uh, you know, you had a DVD, didn't you? And it only had, it was supposed to have one title and a couple of um, extras. And it ended up having about five to seven titles on it. And two... It was about five or, five or six titles. And I think you were just going to say two of them were with a copyright notice, piracy notice. No, I was going to say that two of them were identical in length. So it, you yeah. couldn't work. It was the longest track on there and, and there was two of them. There were, yeah. So obviously one, one maybe had subtitles, the other didn't. One had a different audio tr track to the other, but you couldn't tell which was which. So you would have to have ripped them both and converted them both and then made your mind up which was which. There, there was no way to distinguish why there were two. No, it's it's not the friendliest thing, is it? No, but it's free and it does work well if it if you happen to have a disc that it can actually read. I think the problem comes with Handbrake that certain movie producers, um, I think Disney, aren't they very, very difficult to rip? I, I don't I think know, I've heard that they are, that they, they do all sorts so. of things. And one of the things is that it, it kind of numbers the tracks non-sequentially, that, that when it because these DVDs have some kind of index on them. So it's saying, right, pull in chapter three and then the next one, pull in chapter 39. And of course, if you rip it, you're ripping it sequentially. And that's why the movie's jumping all over the place because of the way that the disc is created. So that's what the problem is. And Handbrake obviously doesn't seem to be able to sort that out very well. So it, it, it's probably my, I probably use it second to what I do actually use. Um, but one of the other options is... One that you used on Windows. Mov AVI. Which is now available for the Mac. Yeah, Mov AVI, it's, it's a suite for Windows. It actually has a number of apps in it, um, including a video editor, um, converters, and a, a number of other things. The Mac version only does a ripping conversion, uh, but it also joins multiple clips together, which is quite useful. It's about $40. I'll, I'll stick a, a link in the show notes. Well, I know you didn't have much luck with it when you tried it, 
You can't say there's actually been a successful outcome with that as no, yet. No, it, it's... It took about an hour at least to do a, a very short clip, which something that you... Another app that you used took about 10 minutes. Yeah, but you never actually got it to completion, did you? Because it crashed, it crashed the whole, the whole system. system. That that could have been something else that I was doing at the time with something else on the system, but it shouldn't have, have, have crashed the whole system. I think if that had the, what the Windows version does, it's a little bit like Camtasia. There is a Mac version, but the Windows version is a whole suite yeah. of products. I think then $39.99 may be worth giving it a go. In my opinion, that's a little bit expensive for what it is supposed to do. I can't even say it does it because I've never seen it do it. But it is one of the options that would give you, theoretically, um, a ripped file for you to watch on your iPad or iPod. Um, there's another whole genre of apps so if minster needed alternatives then these apps are ripping only apps um, some of them do have beta compression in them and stuff but essentially what they do is you create with these apps a dvd image onto your hard drive so you get a folder with the audio and the video TS folders in it. Within those files, usually the video TS folder, you'll get a series of VOB files and IFO files. Now, that is the DVD ripped onto your hard drive. Obviously, you can't take one of those and just play it on your iPad. No. What you're then going to need to do is convert them. But like I say, that's not what Minster wants, but it is a staging post along the way to what he wants. So bear with us. These are a few of the alternatives. The very first one I looked at, I was recommended to it again, was Mac the Ripper. Now, I had actually heard of that as a Windows user, so good grief. Probably the only Mac app I'd ever heard of. Um, seems to be, it seemed at the time to be the standard, but I looked, um, I could never get it working. Never did a thing for me. And there have been no updates since 2005. So I think we can definitely say that one's probably dead. Of course, incidentally, totally unrelated, no updates to iWorks since 2009, but I shall move on. Uh, next one that I started to look at when Mac the Ripper didn't work was DVD21. So that's DVD number two and then the word one. It looks as I've looked at it this week like it should do very, very nicely. But as to it... As to a new Windows switcher, you know, switching to the Mac, it seemed a bit of a long-winded process involved, I think. So what I had going um, on Windows was working so well and it was churning out DVDs so quickly that when I looked at some of these apps, I thought, good grief. And it was taking maybe two and a half hours, whereas on my old Windows machine, which by this stage was probably four years old, it was churning them out in 20 minutes. So it seemed very slow to me. So it may have improved. I haven't looked at it in a quite a while, but again, it's $49.99. So I think if you're going to pay that kind of money, you want it to be ultra fast and very, very uh, feature rich. And I don't think, to be honest, that DVD to one is. The next one I looked at was Rip It, which I have heard people having quite a lot of luck with on discs that don't rip easily. I must admit, I started it and I tried it on this disc that Mike gave me, this United thing. Not good, I thought. Um, it starts and there is, it gives you a picture um, and sort of, right, insert disc here. And I take one look at apps like that and think, where's the configuration? Which, like, 
Minster's familiar with handbrake. You know, you look at the window and you know you can configure stuff. You might not want to, might have no need to, but you know you can. This is completely the other end of the spectrum. You put a disc in, it tells you what the name of the disc is, it tells you what capacity the disc is, and then there's a button and it says rip, and that's Gummy it. Gummy down. Yes. Unfortunately, I, I my first question was, well, rip it to what? <laughs> it didn't actually say when you hover over the rip button it does tell you underneath rip the entire disc playable on your computer now next to that there is another button now and it says beta compress when you hover over that it's going to try and make a compressed version of it but like i said it is a beta so what people do with these applications when they've got a you know a copy of the dvd in a folder on their hard drive is they then run something else against it and compress it out to iPad format or whatever format they want. So it is a two-step process, but you do get two things. You do get a copy of the DVD on your hard drive. So if you wanted to, if, if when you've ripped it, you've got an iPad version and it's too big for your phone or something, then you don't have to go back to the original disc. You can rip it from the folder on your hard drive so it certainly speeds that up considerably so it's one option that you could try but i did think it was very very basic it might work for movies but there really is no options at all to select a movie only in the interface so the first thing that sprang to my mind was, well, what do I do if it's, um, say, a, a disc, I know Minster Lights 24, Q24 music. Um, if you put a 24 disc in there that's got four episodes on, I have no idea what it would rip. No idea at all. I don't think it would know. It would either create uh, four separate files, unlikely, to be honest, looking at the interface. It could just rip the whole thing, and then you'd get, like, one file with, with four... Um, episodes in. I really don't know what it would make of that. It, it just has no configuration at all. But I'd give it a go on movies. So that one's $24.95, so you know, half the price of the other one. But remember, at this stage, you're still creating um, a folder on your hard drive with a copy of the DVD in it, which is also what you get with Mac DVD Ripper Pro, which I think I got in a bundle, which is how come I've got it. So I, I, I decided to try this and see how, how far I got with this. Again, a fairly basic interface, which you made the point that, you know, if you don't want to make any changes, it's quite comforting. Just click one button. If that's all you want to do, um, I know I said dumb it down, but it does keep it simple. Well, this one's got a couple of other options. Um, it lets you choose all videos, menus and bonuses or to create a full disk image or create a full disk image and burn a copy or rip just the main movie. So you are back to problems with, well, what if there's four episodes of something on it? You're getting a copy of the DVD again, not a playable file. But the one thing that struck me was I put a disk in there and it found it all right. I put the disc in my super drive and it found it and it put the volume name in. Then there was a button that said destination and I could choose where this disc image was saved. It gave me no option whatsoever to choose a different disc. So if I had two, um, I, on, on one machine I have a super drive and I have an external Blu-ray writer. I have no idea which one it would use and why. Um, again, just no configuration at all. So they really are trying to make it 
completely, completely hands off, but sometimes to the extent that you that you know it's unusable, that you you can't make basic um, setting changes. So what all of those will give you that's Mac DVD Ripper Pro, Rip It. Uh, DVD to one and Mac the Ripper theoretically, although it's as old as the hills, is a copy of the DVD on your hard drive, which is an alternative way of doing it. What you then need are some converters or one working converter, which will look at the DVD image that you have on your hard drive and create a playable file for you. Um, first thing I tried, because I don't use any of those methods. Um, I've got a nice one-stop shop going on. So I thought, well, what can I do if I had actually did have this on my hard drive? And I thought, I wonder if it would play in QuickTime. So if I'd ripped a DVD and it was in DVD format, would it play it? And would it then save it? So I tried QuickTime 7. It opened it and it started playing the file. And I thought, nice. Then I realised there was no audio on it. Now, there was audio on the rip, so QuickTime 7 didn't work. QuickTime 10 had a complete fit. It wouldn't even open the file. So I thought, well, that's not going to work. But strangely, here's a blast from the past for you, Mike. I squint. I remember iSquint. iSquint was wonderful. It's a free piece of software from Techspansion, the people who make Visual Hub. And um, it did one thing very, very, very well, which is it made videos for what was then the fifth gen iPod. And it was brilliant. Speed-wise, it was brilliant. There were some configuration options you could make. And um, it was a free piece of kit. I couldn't get over how marvellous that was when I moved to a Mac. And you tested it last week. You said it still worked. It does still work. I moved on to Visual Hub and what Visual Hub will do, all you've got to do is drag and drop. Uh, now Visual Hub is the big brother of iSquint. It lets you work with um, a lots more output for file formats. iSquint was just the one format. Visual Hub was a paid for app at the time. So I immediately upgraded from iSquint to Visual Hub. I thought it was a fabulous app. You drag and drop the file that Rip It or DVD Ripper Pro has made and you drag and drop it into Visual Hub. You choose your output format and there's lots in there and you click go and that's it makes you a file and it was Visual Hub that I used to create that file in 10 minutes that Mike's machine died at the hour hour and 10 point without making it. So Visual Hub I find to be very very quick as well. Now we did mention a few shows back that it was having problems on Lion but there has since been a complete update out to it. Um, there is also don't just get the update. There is an extra little bit, which is the codex that it uses. And if you get the very latest, it seems to be working at least twice as fast. So Visual Hub at the moment is still working and working very, very well. Another alternative, which will take this image of a DVD off your hard drive and make you a playable compressed file, is MPEG Stream Clip, which I use quite extensively and I think you use it as well don't you? I do. Um, it's free, it's, a, it's, it's an amazing piece of kit considering it is free. Um, it gives you frame level precision so you can edit files with it and you can then save out to any file format that you need to. I've never actually found a file format video wise that that won't read. Uh, MPEG Stream Click would even read those video files I was struggling with um, that Final Cut Pro 7 wouldn't read. 
So can highly recommend MPEG Stream Clip, even if it's just one of those things you, you sort of keep keep around for when you need it. Now, what might help you most, depending on price-wise, it, it's not the cheap, it's not the most expensive option by four cents, um, but it's not the cheapest option either. But I would say it's in my workflow and it is a one-stop shop. I don't have to worry about making image files and doing everything separate. The one I the, the application I use takes me from DVD to final output via backups with batch processing the lot. So it does everything that I want it to do. And it's called DVD Remaster Pro. Now, in this case, it does three different things. The first set of options you have are for remastering a DVD. So I've explained remastering a DVD is taking off the bits you don't want, leaving you with the bits that you do, and then making you, burning you, a new DVD. So if you wanted to play it on a DVD recorder, DVD player, then you could do that without the adverts, without annoying bits, or with just the bits you want. But the application will also let you make one of these files that is the file you're after, the file you can play on your iPad, your iPhone, your Mac. Now, the application is from a company called Metakeen. And first of all, you will need a free product from them to make all of this work. It's called Fairmount. And what that does, it's a free application and it effectively removes the CSS region protection. And it does it by remounting the DVD via Fairmount. Now it gives you all the warnings about, you know, don't make copies, etc, etc. Piracy is bad. But you know, if it's one of your own DVDs. So you use that application to mount the disc. Then you run DVD Remaster Pro and you point it towards the DVD that you have put in your drive. And from then on, like I say, it's a one-stop shop. So the export options, you can create a media file, so maybe an M4A. It's really simple to do that um, because there are, again, presets that you can choose. But you can also tweak those presets slightly and then resave them as new presets or new profiles. You can also, um, there's an extract option. So you have three options altogether. There's your remastering option, your export option, and an extract option. And what the extract does is pull out specific tracks from a DVD without altering them at all. So if you just wanted an audio um, track, then you could just pull that off the DVD. Now, like I said, you do everything from the one app. So you don't have to worry about, you know, mounting on one thing and then creating something else and then taking that into another app. DVD Remaster Pro does the whole thing. It also allows you to do batch processing and, and queuing jobs. It looks complicated when you look at it, but only because there are options that you can configure. But conversely, you can also just open the app, stick a disk in and, and press a button and it'll work. It isn't any more complicated than Handbrake, certainly not. And it has always worked for me. I've not had uh, one DVD that it's not worked on. How fast it will do its job will depend solely on the machine. Um, I think we did a few comparisons and you said to me, is it in real time? And I said, well, it's going to depend on the machine. On my iMac with 16 gig, it's an i7 um, 16 gig iMac. It's really quick. I can get a disk done in, say, 20 minutes. On an older Mac, I think I've got one that's got four gig of RAM and it's about 
five years old, then on that it could take an hour and a half. So it really does depend on, on the speed of the machine. There are two versions of DVD Remaster Pro as well. There's a standard version and a pro version. The standard version is $39.95 and the pro version is $49.95. Now they do quite frequently um, participate in bundle deals. So if you've ever bought a bundle it's probably worth checking there first before you repurchase. As I said, that, that by today's standards is quite expensive. Um, it is available in the Mac App Store, so uh, you could get, save a little bit of money with your iTunes vouchers. They tend to bring out a new version, usually a major number release as well, about every 12 months. And the upgrade price is about £7.50, £7. something like that. So the upgrade, once you've bought it, is quite cost effective. And as I say, that works very, very well for me. So I, I don't think you've tried that, have you? No, it's not one I've tried. Like you say, you don't really do it often enough. It, it is a job I find when I'm, I'm ripping DVDs that it's something that you really have to get into and, and you get used to the settings and stuff. And then if you don't do it for a couple of months, you're back thinking, what were those great settings that I had this set to that did it really, really quickly? But that one has always worked for me. But even the best workflow doesn't guarantee success without some pain points. Oh yes, the dreaded Dr Quinn. Oh, you could say that. Yes, my mum's show of the moment a few months back was um, Dr Quinn, medicine woman. Yeah, don't judge me. Oh, There were six series of up to 30 episodes each. The pilot episode in two halves, of course, and three movies. Well, the three movies were simple enough. Um, the rest... A living purgatory I never want to revisit. Yes, what could go wrong? Well, the thing with DVD Remaster Pro is it does give you an extensive interface where you can choose individual chapters and you can reorder them um, and different tracks. So from that perspective, it was fabulous. Um, my problem was the episodes were in the wrong order on the discs. They were in the wrong order if you just put the discs in a DVD to try and play them. Um, I wasn't familiar with the series. I'm taking no responsibility for this. Um, my mum hadn't seen them. It wasn't as though she, she'd got these things because uh, she had fond memories of them. It was something that she'd spotted a couple of episodes of and wanted to watch. So she was saying to me, I'm sure there's something wrong with these discs. This was when she was watching them on the disc. It was nigh on impossible to follow the story because what they'd done was they'd just taken episodes and just shoved them on the disc in any old order. So, and to make matters worse, they were all bought as separate series. It wasn't a massive box set. There were episodes from series four on the discs for series three. But what had to be the absolute worst of all was that the episodes themselves weren't segmented on the original discs. So I was putting these discs in and looking and it was telling me there was two titles on it. So this is where Minster and his The Chapters Are All Over The Place comes into it. There were just the two chapters on, on the disc and I'm thinking, but there's four episodes. There can't be two. And this was when I started looking around at other software to see if it was the software. Um, it wasn't. It was actually how the discs were made. So I had no option but to rip a group of episodes. There was no way not to. Um, I could rip them in two halves. So I had one disc, four episodes, and it just had two big chunks on it. And all I could do was take those two big chunks. 
That meant I had to manually separate each episode out, which I used MPEG Stream Clip for. As I mentioned, the one brilliant feature of MPEG Stream Clip is that it has frame level. It goes down in granularity to frame level, which most applications that edit video tend not to. Um, if you've ever used something like uh, the ITV editor, it edits fairly well, it's fairly accurate, but it uses what's called a group of frames. And that could be 15 frames, 25 frames. You're never going to get a, a precise edit. And obviously, with all these episodes glued together, with, with a gap of maybe half a second between them, I had to be fairly accurate. An MPEG stream clip saved the day there, shall we say. Um, for me, after that, it got even more complicated because they weren't in the right order. There was no episode title. So where on earth do you start to try and put them in the right order? So let's just say if I ever see another episode of Dr. Quinn, it'll be too soon. It was something I did manage to do with it, though. I think there was 197 episodes, wasn't there, in the end? <laughs> something like that. Oh, I? yes. And mum's sitting there enjoying them. So it was all worth it in the end. But this, it is, it's not simple. No matter what anybody says, no matter what software you've got, you know, you really have to be quite dedicated to get it, it done and get it to work in the end, to be honest. Movies should be a lot easier. But TV series is probably where, where I spend most of my time. I don't really have that many movies. I've never had a movie that wouldn't rip at all. I have heard of people who have had problems like that. But the, the, the trick is to check the chapter order. So that's what's wrong with Minsters. I'd be tempted to try a trial of DVD Remaster Pro if I was Minster and give that a go. I think you'll find you'll be able to do a lot more with it without it being that complicated. You can't do a thing with it. So I'd recommend that route for that. Um, if you go down the route of making uh, DVD copies, so copies of the entire DVD or remastered copies, and then you want to burn that, then obviously you can do that via the um, system. The system will burn you a disc. And obviously there's Toast. Everybody's heard of Toast. But there's also, um, if you've got Pathfinder, Pathfinder will burn you a DVD. And there's two freebies as well that are probably worth taking a look at. The best one of the two is called Burn. Now, we mentioned Burn quite a way back when I was ranting over Toast. Yes, another rant. Do you remember that rant? I think I do remember that rant. Why was I, I ranting? all your rants. Uh, and, and so you should. Why was I ranting about Toast? I bet you can't remember. No. No. Right, problem activated was... Activated software? No, no, no. Toast wasn't activated. No, the problem with Toast was um, it wouldn't run on my Mac Mini without oh, a monitor plugged mode. in. Yes. Headless mode. headless mode. The Toast headless mode. So pretty much if I wanted to burn a DVD, I had to plug a monitor in. Couldn't totally see the correlation myself. So that was when I looked for an alternative and I found one and it's free. It's called Burn. And it, again, it, it does a simple job and it does it very well. Um, it's much lighter weight than Toast. It doesn't have all the features Toast does, but it burns a disc pretty quickly and it will um, create an index of what's on it. So I can highly recommend Burn. Um, what you save on Toast, you can buy DVD remaster with, so go with Burn. There was another one that I'd, I'd used, uh, Liquid CD. 
but there has been a distinct lack of recent updates and to be honest it's not looking promising either. If you follow the link in the show notes it takes you through to Mac Update. If you then go to the developer's site from there he seems in the process of actually sort of dismantling his business. So although it's working at the moment I wouldn't hold out much hope for the future of Liquid CD. But Burn absolutely I can highly recommend Burn. Now, the other thing that might help Minster with his chapters and anything else he's working with is um, the, the tagging that you can do. Because Minster's talking about looking at putting them in DV in um, iTunes libraries and organising them, at which point you're going to need to have metadata. Now, like I've said, I can't find anything on the Mac as good as tag and rename for manually uh, applying metadata to files. I have used an app on the Mac called Media Rage, but whereas Tag and Rename on Windows is a, a single interface with everything that you could conceivably want to do with your metadata, Media Rage is completely separate. It, it gives you a dashboard, and on that dashboard, there's probably about Oh, easy, 20, 24 options maybe for different things that you might want to do. So you might want to take your metadata and write it out to file names. You might want to read file names in as metadata. And I spend most of my time gazing at, at the dashboard thinking, which option do I want? And when I've got the option, usually it just won't do it. Um, I've wanted to read in the file name and I want it to read it in as metadata. And no matter what I do, it won't do it. So I, I, I have used Media Rage, but only for basic stuff because I just can't get it to do what I want it to do. A much better way that I've started doing, which when you've just recently ripped the West Wing 147 episodes, you really are very grateful for. It's an application called Identify. Now, the one I've got, I'm not sure if it's Identify 1 or 2, but um, it was free. Now, there is a paid-for version, and it looks like it's more up-to-date on the Mac App Store. And what that does is it's going to, um, based on the file names that you have, it will find you metadata. Now, obviously, that gives you a first step that the file names you have have to be something that it could recognise. So when I'm ripping DVDs, I don't bother saying to it, this file's called this and this file's called that. I just whammy a disk in and rip the disk to a folder. I then look at the folder and then I go through the renaming. So for, for that, I use a better finder rename. But there's also Name Mangler from Many Tricks, which is only $10. So either one of those... Um, if you're batch processing, so me and my 147 episodes of The West Wing, I certainly did batch process it. If Minster's working mainly with movies, then you can probably just afford to just name it whatever you want. Now, if you stick to a standard naming convention, which for something like um, The West Wing would be the.west.wing.s01.e01, then that would be the first episode of The West Wing. And if you carry on like that throughout all 147 of them, and then you use Identify, Identify will read in the names. It will, it will realise it's The West Wing. It will realise which series it is. It will realise what episode it is. And it will go out to the internet 
querying various online databases and come back with titles, episode numbers, summaries, cast, date of first broadcast, broadcast company, you name it, the information is there. That information will also include chapter markers. And that has worked flawlessly for me, for everyone that I've tried. So I can highly recommend that. When you get round to your 24s, Minster, you're going to need that. So I'll put a link in the show notes for where you can get that from. As I say, you'll find it in the Mac App Store. And that, that works really, really well. So at that point, you should have ripped your DVDs, maybe made a backup of them, got your playable files, and then you're into the wonderful world of iTunes libraries. <laughs> yes, the bane of my life. We've done iTunes libraries, haven't we? Many times. <sighs> yes, usually me arguing with them. Um, well, my my problem was I, I didn't use iTunes at all until a couple of days before I got my Mac. And the first thing I did was install it on my Windows machine as I'm waiting, chomping at the bit to get to Derby to buy my Mac. Um, and the first thing it said to me was, do you want to manually manage your music or do you want iTunes to do it? Well, you'd be insane on Windows if you said, no, you do it. I'm fine with that. Because you never let Windows do anything automatically. No way. So my first library was, um, I said, leave them alone. And then, of course, that meant I had at the time about 26 gig. Oh, a tiny little library. 26 gig of music that um, was manually managed. So that first library that I created, that first day I, I installed iTunes, is still the basis for my current library. Because what I then did with it was I told it to consolidate it all. Um, and, you know, OK, you look after the library. Once I'd got on the Mac and I trusted it, I said, OK, you look after the library. But I've since read a lot um, of information about iTunes libraries and I find half of it complete rubbish. I have one main iTunes library, which has grown, like I say, from nothing originally on Windows right through to, at the moment, it's about 1.2, 1.3 terabytes. It has everything that I've got in it. And I've never done what I have actually been told repeatedly at an Apple store to do, which is rebuild it. My opinion is it shouldn't need rebuilding. It's a database. And as long as I maintain that database, just like, I mean, you do database management, don't you? I certainly do. And you would look after your database. You wouldn't say, no, I'll have to trash that and rebuild it. Definitely not. Exactly. So my opinion is that if you look after your library and you maintain it well, you shouldn't need to do things like that. And that includes when it comes to moving libraries. So Minster's saying, should he have separate ones? Should he have a single library? Um, just give it some TLC. Look after your library. Treat your library well and your library will look after you. <laughs> no, because obviously over that time, my library's moved from a Windows machine to a Mac where it started life on my main hard drive, I think. Then I took it from there and I put it on an external drive that was about 250 gig. I then moved it again to a 500 gig one. Then I moved it to a terabyte drive. Then I moved it to a two terabyte drive and there it sits today. And each time the MacBiters have heard the horror stories. They have no 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 the main problem I had was um iTunes nine. iTunes nine went mad. 
it completely went mad with my library. I don't think that was me. I think it was it. Um, it was that option that they introduced to do with consolidating when they renamed the libraries and it went mental. Now, what I got told at the Apple Store was if you're moving a library, you must do it the Apple way. And they gave me a link to how to do it. And I did check this the other day and I read it and I was still laughing like a hyena, wasn't I? Yeah. Because to me, it's just, I can see why they're telling you to do it that way, because the way I do it would be insane for most people. It's the time it takes, because you're going to have to make a decision whether you have these libraries separate or not. I, I don't. My mum does have a library. Her library's nothing to do with me. <laughs> I don't want to sit there looking at Dr Quinn. Believe you me. Yes, once was enough. Um, and if I wanted something from her library and I wanted it in my library, then I'd, I'd drag and drop it in, which is what they tell you to do. That will be simple. Drag and drop it. Metadata will come with it. Yes, of course it will. Um, consolidating libraries would be quite a nightmare, I would have thought. Um also, syncing iDevices. Now, we discussed this, didn't we? If you've got multiple libraries, you've got quite a few potential problems. You've got syncing problems. You've got home sharing problems. You've got a maximum of five activations on an iTunes account. And I wouldn't like to try merging libraries. Now, you did do some research on that, didn't you? I found an app called Phonable or Phonable, uh, which is free. And I got quite excited about it until I found out, one, it was Windows only. Um, two, there's a Mac version promised. Uh, three, it's not compatible with iTunes 10, although that was a statement that was 12 months ago on their website. Fabulous. Um, but the, the Mac version doesn't appear to have, have materialised. Yeah, now what that was supposed to do was to allow you to manage multiple libraries. So... I'm not at all sure with multiple libraries. I think I'd only do that um, if the drive was full. If I needed to spread um, my content across multiple drives, then I would go with multiple libraries. There is no way around that. Um, so that's when I would use that. Um, you're going to have to consider at that stage that at some point you are going to have to move a library or rename a drive or change the path, something like that. So... For me, I was moving a library. So if your library is on your main hard drive and you decide to move it to an external drive, what they recommend is that you go through this convoluted process where you um, go into the properties of iTunes, uh, the settings, and you tell it that the library is going to be in a different location. You give it that location and then you tell it to consolidate it. And yes, it will. It, it will eventually. But if, if your library's in any way more than a few gig, it's going to take a long time to do it. So that was the first problem. The second problem, which I encountered several times, was I have an external drive. I've already moved the stuff to an external drive, however long that took me. I've now got the stuff on an external drive. And my external drive for iTunes used to be called Audio. And back in 2006, that was probably reasonable. But as time went on and it's got my mobile apps in it and it's got videos in it and it's got oh it's got everything in it, it doesn't make sense to call it audio. Now, all I wanted to do was rename the drive. I just wanted to call the drive iTunes. I didn't need nor want to actually move the files because 1.2 terabytes is going to take a while. 
I also didn't want to have to use a secondary drive to do it with, because if I have a two terabyte drive and a 1.2 terabyte library, creating a new one and then doing this consolidate business, it needs to have enough room to do it. And it wouldn't have, it would only have 800 gig. So I'd need another drive. Well, most people, I mean, I've got a cupboard full of drives, but most people don't. And you were talking to somebody this week and said, oh, two external drives, steady on. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'll just open the cupboard and take 10 out. But, you know, some people just don't. Um, I'd wonder what they were backing up to, but that's a whole different business. For me, it was the time. It wasn't that I didn't have a secondary drive. It was the time it would take. All I wanted to do was rename the, the drive. That was it. So what I did was um, rename the drive and then I edited manually the XML file. So as soon as you start handling multiple libraries or, or doing any, any intricate work with your libraries, you may have to think about stuff like that. And um, I do it with a text editor and a global find and replace, which is called grep. It works brilliantly. As long as you know what you're doing, it works brilliantly. And for me, I was able to change, rather than going through this import, export, drag it all in business, move it to new drive, which would have taken probably best part six, seven hours for how much data I had. It took me 10 minutes and it worked. But it's probably something that you need to practice with. But when you're thinking about handling multiple libraries, those are the things that you have to think about. I know the official ways you do it this way, but you know you can save yourself seven hours. So multiple libraries, nice idea. I don't think it's quite at the stage that iPhoto is. And um, there is an iPhoto library manager and it lets you merge libraries and all sorts of things. I've not seen anything comparable for handling iTunes libraries. I know you mentioned that phonable, but that's it, really. I've not seen anything else, have you? No, I've seen nothing else. No. Now, another alternative that, that you could employ, rather than these multiple libraries, is the streaming alternative. As I said, I have one iTunes library. My mum has another iTunes library. If I want to watch something that's in her library, I'd just stream it. I wouldn't connect to the library with home sharing and all that that entails. I'd just stream it. So um, we looked at the streaming apps and there's quite a few of them now, isn't there? Yeah, there's, there is a few. Um, I mainly use two, but what we decided to do was we're going to take a look at what I'll call the streaming alternatives in a couple of weeks. So um, devour all of that so far, Minster, and we'll come back to streaming in a couple of weeks. But we're going to move on now and look at, um, you talk about storage and what you're going to do with that. I would put mine on an external drive uh, and my iTunes library isn't on an external drive. What I did do for a long time, as people will know, is I had the media on, on an external drive and I had the control files on my internal drive. And then I decided that was insane. So I moved the control files to the external drive as well, which has the benefit that if I if my machine, as, as is at the moment, needs to be returned to AppleCare, I don't have to worry about iTunes. I literally just plug the drive into another machine, open the library and I'm good to go. So external drives, I would say I'd use. Now you went for a different approach because you've got a laptop. Yeah, I put everything on the hard drive um, on the laptop. Uh, I did have everything at one point externally. I think that's when I had the iMac, but now I've moved everything 
uh, onto the hard drive. I have toyed with the idea of moving it back externally, but I think I'm going to leave everything on here. I think if you've got the space on your, on your internal drive and it's a laptop, then to have everything with you at all times gives you the benefit that you can sync your iDevices while you're out. Well, you say um, if you've got the space, I've only got 140 gig free. <laughs> True, but you know, you're, if you're 500 gig hard drive and you're trying to squeeze a 1.2 terabyte iTunes library on it, it's not going to go. <laughs> no. So, true. so for me, I, I'd go for um, external. But when we got our iPad 2s, you took your laptop with you for activation purposes, and you could sync with it and and restore, and I couldn't. Mm, very true. So, mm, I'd still go external because I work mainly from my office but you, you're mobile so I can understand why you've done it that way yeah. not sure what Minster does I can't see him synchronising it on his bike no no. so so maybe an external one at home um, I've gone for a cased drive from my external one but I also back up obviously and I use uh, bare drives in cradles to back up with so that that's what I do with the hard drives there is of course the Drobo alternative I can't help thinking, I mean, generally, Drobo's are very expensive. Uh, and for iTunes, probably not worth it. But if you wanted to go that way. The other thing, problems I have with Drobo's are, everybody seems to love them. They do engender some kind of um, Apple-esque Kool-Aid business going on. But from what I see, from, from what I hear from people, there seems to be a lot of time-consuming maintenance involved when you swap a drive out. Um, and particularly at the moment with, with Lion, I've heard lots of upgrade woes as well. So I think I'd think very, very carefully about a Drobo if you wanted to go sort of a raid way. I don't like anything that, that needs something sitting between it and my computer. So what I mean by that is if I have an external drive, I unplug it from one machine and I plug it into another. And that is that. Um, as long as the you know, file format wise, hard drive format wise, um, it can read it, then I'm fine. One of the problems I originally had when I was making my mind up where I was going to put my media was I had a Windows machine and I had a Mac and I only had one Mac. So if I formatted that drive to Mac format, the Windows machine couldn't read it. And I thought, well, what if my Mac fails? What do I do then? I'm going to have no access to this hard drive at all. So that was something that I did consider um, back then. Getting a Mac, a second Mac, was obviously the right answer. But if you think about that situation, I wouldn't be able to take that external drive and put it onto a Windows machine and read it. And that's what I see with Drobo, that it needs the Drobo software to work. So I'd be a bit dubious with that. And I think for iTunes, it's probably, like I say, a little bit too expensive. But uh, if you're an audiophile and your, your files are huge, then you can think about a Drobo, maybe. Um, and just to wrap up, I'd say there is an essential toolkit that, that I'd have for DVD, working with DVDs and ripping stuff. Um, I'd have DVD Remaster Pro. Um, I'd probably keep Handbrake there. Handbrake would be my second go-to software. And it helps that it's free because I'm paying for the first one. Uh, I'd also have uh, backup software when you're working with this stuff. So Chronosync and SuperDuper. SuperDuper and Carbon Copy Cloner will make you an exact copy of the drive. So it's a very good way if your control files are on it of making sure that you have an exact copy of it somewhere else. 
but be careful with that because I was dis I was making my mind up to put all my backup drives onto a network machine and one of my problems was that SuperDuper will not clone across a network so I ended up going with ChronoSync because that would synchronize across a network so when you come to back these things up um, that's something to think about uh, utility wise MPEG stream clip, like I said, precision editing down to frame level. Dr. Quinn, gritted teeth. Uh, VLC, because VLC would play a beer mat. VLC plays everything. So it's always handy to have that available so you can check the stuff that you've ripped. And what I use, I use BB Edit when I'm editing my iTunes control files. But Text Wrangler does just as good a job and it's free. So both of those are available in the Mac App Store as well. Now, I think iTunes libraries and, and how people manage their media and stuff is something that probably everybody does a slightly different way. And I'm sure the MacBiters have got their own suggestions. So um, if you've got suggestions and favourites, be sure to let us know. We, we need to pass them on to Paul Minster. Let's blow his mind totally. So on to feedback and comments uh, for this week. Um, Talking to Minster, back to Minster again, um, he said on Twitter, I'm the official MacBytes crash test dummy. Yes, he was um, road testing something for us, wasn't he? You do take your life in your own hands, Minster, you really do. You're a brave man. But this week also we have some miscreant MacBiters to um, publicly shame, I think is the phrase, isn't it? I'll leave it to you to shame and name. Name and shame, Eve. After Jane last week with her drifting off. Drifting off? Yes, she said, um, I'm coming clean and unbitting. I've still only listened to half of the latest episode. I fell asleep at midnight before it finished. Do you think that's a polite way of put drifted off? Is that a polite way of saying we're boring? Don't be silly. In fact, I'm not having this, you know, I'm not having it, no. Uh, if what I need to do is put in like an alarm every 10 minutes, that's what we'll do. What do you think? Good idea. Absolutely. What I'd say, because Jane was not alone. Oh, no. There was a whole range of them, wasn't there? Kirshen, Mark, Andy and Strategy Oracle. Yes. Can't keep up with us now. Oh, when's there another Map Bites? When's there another Map Bites? Delusions that they can keep up with mm. us. In fact, Strategy Oracle put it perfectly when he said, At Map Bites, all of this next week's stuff puts me under immense pressure too you know really now you know how we feel marvelous anyway that's it for another oh long episode of MacBytes. as always we would love to hear from you so questions comments queries by email to MacBytesUK at gmail.com or there's contact form on the website or take after minster's lead and send us an audio file we would love to hear from you and of course you can always leave a comment on the show notes at mapbytes.co.uk don't forget to keep sending in your mac love bites and don't forget to like us on facebook or sign up for the newsletter at mapbytes.co.uk and you can follow us on twitter at twitter.com slash macbytes and you can follow me personally on twitter at twitter.com slash elaine giles you can follow me at twitter.com slash thomas mike so until next time this has been elaine and mike bringing you MacBytes. goodbye goodbye and see you next time can i have some flapjack now some of your very special flapjack yes oh good if i haven't eaten it all what <laughs> <laughs>